I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is How Story Works. Last week, we talked about how the three acts work, giving us an overview of the general movement of the story. We start with the conflict launching and escalating in Act 1. We make it worse and raise the stakes in Act 2, challenging our protagonist to go outside of her comfort zone in order to win the day. And we climax and resolve in Act 3, finishing off the conflict. Now we're going to zoom in a bit with the seven anchor scenes. Before we get started, I want you to know that if you visit the Chipperish website for this episode, you'll find an image there that lays out the structure of the three acts and the seven anchor scenes visually. And it might help for you to take a look at that to help you kind of visualize how all the anchor scenes fall in a story. This is going to be an information heavy episode of How Story Works, and you may need to listen to it two or three times, maybe even more. I'm also going to be using the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie as an example to further clarify what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it or haven't seen it recently, you may want to stick this episode in your back pocket, watch the movie, and then come back. Are we ready? Let's do this thing. Let me start by explaining what an anchor scene is. An anchor scene is a big moment in the story that tracks the escalating central narrative conflict. The anchor scenes, as I'm laying them out here, are idealized. This is a plan which, if you follow it, will give you a functional structure. Most three-act stories will have moments that track along these general guidelines, but there will be variation in how they land and in their function. So when we're watching the films to track the progression of the anchor scenes, don't be freaked out if you're looking for a particular anchor scene and you don't see it or it may be in the wrong place. Sometimes the writer may have done something a bit different. What's important is not that every story we study fall in line according to this structure exactly, but rather that you're looking for these scenes and asking yourself two things. One, if the writer did something different, did it work? If so, you can stop there. Although digging deeper to try to figure out why it worked is a really valuable exercise and will teach you something new to put in your writer's toolbox. Two, if the writer did something different and it didn't work, would following this anchor scene structure more closely have fixed that problem? Ask yourself what you might have suggested to this writer had she given you her story to critique. A lot of times when something isn't working, going back to narrative theory will help you figure out a way to fix it. For the story appreciators out there critiquing stories, this can be incredibly valuable in your analysis. For the writers, fixing a story in which you don't have a dog in the fight will help you develop the skills to fix those problems in your own stories. Okay, so there are a few things we need to understand about anchor scenes. First, they track the central narrative conflict, which is about your antagonist and her goal and your protagonist and his goal. There can be big moments in a story that aren't anchor scenes because they aren't about the central narrative conflict. Maybe they're about a subplot or the romance arc or the internal arc for the main character. Those are big scenes too, and they're important, but they're not anchor scenes unless they are actively moving the central narrative conflict forward. So if you're analyzing a story and you find something that you think might be an anchor scene, but you're not sure, ask yourself the following question. Is the protagonist in the scene? If it's not, then it's not an anchor scene. We are following these moments from the protagonist's POV. So if she's not there and actively involved in what's happening, it's not an anchor scene. That's not to say that things can't get worse with our protagonist absent. It's saying that until she knows they're getting worse, not on her radar. 
If the protagonist is in the scene, then check to be sure that the scene is about the conflict with the antagonist. If it's not, if it's moving a secondary plot forward like a romance or a supporting character plot, then it's not an anchor scene. Also, note that the anchor scenes are just seven scenes in a story that could contain 40 scenes, 50 scenes, 25 scenes. The anchor scenes don't run one into the next, although as we move farther into the story and the action heats up, they do come closer together. They're spread a little further in the first two acts, and then boom, boom, boom in Act 3. That speaks to pacing, and we will talk about that, but on another day. All right, let's get to it. The seven anchor scenes. To help clarify things, when I'm explaining the anchor scenes generically, I'm going to use feminine pronouns for the protagonist and masculine pronouns for the antagonist. When I say she, I'm talking about the protagonist. When I say he, the antagonist. When I'm talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, I'll try to use names as much as I can to keep things clear. The first anchor scene is the inciting incident. This is the first moment that the protagonist feels the influence of the antagonist pushing back against her goal. Now note, the antagonist doesn't have to be physically present. Just the influence of the antagonist on the goal has to be felt. In Guardians of the Galaxy, this is the moment when Peter Quill finds the Infinity Stone and is immediately stopped by Ronan's henchmen. Ronan is the antagonist. It's Ronan who sends these guys after the Infinity Stone but he's not present in this actual encounter. However, this is the first moment that Peter, whose goal is to get the Infinity Stone and sell it, bumps up against Ronan, whose goal is to get the Infinity Stone and use it to destroy everything. Quill gets away with the Infinity Stone and our conflict is launched. The inciting incident should happen pretty close to the top of the story. Everything we do before the conflict is launched is not story, so we want it to happen pretty fast. Guardians opens with a prologue, and I promise we'll discuss prologues at a later date, but once that's done, this scene opens the movie, so it's a pretty fast launch right into the conflict, which is good. Act 1 continues, with the conflict slowly escalating, the protagonist learning more about her situation, and other characters and storylines coming in, until we get to the end of Act 1, which is capped with our second anchor scene. At the end of Act 1, we have the second anchor scene, the choice to engage with the conflict. Up until now, the protagonist may have known that someone was getting in between her and her goal, but she was still figuring things out. By the end of Act 1, she knows that she's being actively blocked and she commits to her goal, choosing willfully to engage in the conflict to pursue her objective. In Guardians, this is the moment when Quill asks Gamora to help him sell the stone. He's choosing to work with a team to reach his objective, and this changes his relationship to the central narrative conflict. He remains committed to the goal, even knowing that people are trying to get the stone away from him. But his relationship to the conflict has changed. He's actively choosing to engage with it now. Right now, I want you to take note of the fact that the second anchor scene switches us from Act 1 to Act 2 through an active choice made by the protagonist. I'll talk about that in a little more detail in just a bit, but it's important to note. So now we move into Act 2. Things are moving along, our story's gaining some momentum, the central narrative conflict continues to get worse, and the stakes are getting higher. There's more potential consequence, more at risk. The antagonist is being thwarted and working harder to obtain his goal. In the middle of Act 2, which is also about the middle of the story, we hit on Anchor Scene 3, the aptly named Midpoint, also known as a reversal. 
The midpoint reversal is where new information is obtained that changes how the protagonist sees the conflict. This could be that our protagonist learns something new that recontextualizes the conflict for her, making her even more committed to her goal. Or it could be that she's knocked back hard by the antagonist and realizes now how dangerous or powerful he is. This information may be so powerful that it alters her understanding of her goal and her motivation for pursuing that goal may broaden or even change. In Guardians, the midpoint happens when Quill takes the stone to the Collector and discovers how powerful it is, how dangerous it is. His goal remains the same, keep the stone away from Ronin, but it's no longer about making money, it's about protecting the galaxy. Note that a goal may evolve through the course of a story, and that's okay. What's important is that the central narrative conflict between the protagonist and the antagonist does not let up. They must remain locked in that conflict, even if the reasons why they are locked in that conflict change or alter or evolve. Next, we get to our fourth anchor scene, at the turn between Acts 2 and 3, sometimes called the point of no return. I like to think of it as no way out but through. Here, our protagonist again makes an active choice to continue on with the battle, even though the stakes are so high, even though she's been challenged so much that she's not sure she can win. Even in the face of that, she chooses to move forward because the consequences of going back are not acceptable to her. This is the point where her motivation to achieve her goal becomes stronger than all the reasons to run and hide, and she chooses to fight. Now again, here we find ourselves at the moment when one act turns into the next, and our protagonist is making an active choice to continue forward. In Guardians, this moment hits when Peter and the rest of his gang are on Yondu's ship, and he tells them that they're probably going to die, but at least they'll die fighting for what's right. And now we're in Act 3, and everything happens quickly. We move into Anchor Scene 5, the dark moment when all seems lost, death is imminent, but our protagonist continues fighting, she does not quit. In Guardians, this moment happens when they crash on Xandar, with Ronan in possession of the Infinity Stone and its power, and Groot dies to save the rest of the team. All seems to be lost, but our protagonist still fights. Then we move straight into the sixth anchor scene, the climax, when the final winner in the central narrative conflict is decided. Our protagonist sees the fight through to the end. Maybe she wins, maybe she loses. Narratively, again, it doesn't really matter. But the victor is decided once and for all. In Guardians, this is when Peter and his friends band together, contain the power of the Infinity Stone, and destroy Ronan. The conflict is finally over. A winner has been decided. Then we move into the seventh anchor scene, resolution. Now, this is a bit misleading because the resolution is usually not one big scene, but rather a series of small scenes showing us how the world has changed now that the battle is decided. However, because they are short scenes and they are thematically bonded in this task of resolution, we tend to think of them as one functional scene. In Guardians, we have the happy people of Xandar, the Infinity Stone being locked away, where it will of course be safe forever, unless we need a sequel, and our merry band of misfits is given a rebuilt Milano ship. They fly off into the sky together as a family, while the baby Groot Sproutling dances. And in that moment, by the way, we see that our lone rogue from the beginning has now bonded with a group. He's arced from solitude to community, and would not have been able to win the day if he hadn't. Remember when I told you that how things change defines what a story means? 
Because Peter Quill was only able to save the day by working with a team rather than working on his own, that tells us that Guardians is about finding your tribe, finding your community, your found family, and only with that group will you be powerful enough to face what the world throws at you. And that's the seven anchor scenes laid out over three acts. Again, check the show notes and you'll find a link to the image that shows a visual layout of the three acts and the seven anchor scenes. All right. Now that you're familiar with acts and the seven anchor scenes, next week, we're going to discuss the 2010 Disney movie Tangled. And I'm going to break it down into these elements covering everything we've discussed so far, central narrative conflict and structure. In the show notes, there's a link to the How StoryWorks course text list, and if you click on the Structure Discussion List and Materials tab, you'll find instructions and a downloadable worksheet for you to use while watching. Before you listen to the Tangled episode of How StoryWorks, watch the movie and try to figure out what you think about the central narrative conflict and the structure. By doing that without me telling you what I see, you'll be able to build those analytical muscles. All right, today's episode is packed with information and it's running a little long, so I'm going to let you guys go. But before I do, thank you so much to everyone who called in with their questions. I will answer them soon, I promise. I love having the voicemail. I love being able to hear your voices. So thank you. Thank you so much. I will get to those questions. And if you have a question you'd like me to answer on the show, call 302-643-CHIP. That's 302-643-2447 and leave a message or you can email me at Lonnie at chipperish.com or contact me on Twitter at at Lonnie Diane Rich or at Chipperish with the hashtag HowStoryWorks. How Story Works is a free college-level course in narrative theory and is entirely supported by listener donations. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can help keep it in production and gain access to exclusive Chipperish content and a community of amazing smart people. That's a hell of a bargain. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish for more information. Thanks so much, and I'll see you later. Bye.